first of all, welcome to Thursday. I, we stay up to date so you don't have to. There's a panel of experts on top here that discuss everything. Uh, if we've tried something, we'll talk about this. If we haven't and somebody in the audience tried that specific new AI stuff, feel free to raise your hand. Give us uh, your comment. Uh, this is not the space for like long debates. Um, we actually had a great space for that yesterday, Nisten and Roy from uh, Pineville and some other folks. Uh, we'll probably do a different one. This this should be information dense for folks, and this will be recorded and likely reposted at some point. Um, so no debates, just let's drop an opinion and discuss the new stuff and, and kind of continue. Um, and the goal is to stay up to date so you don't have to in the audience. And I think with that, I will say hi to Alan Junaid and we'll, we'll get started. Oh, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Nissan Tahira. I worked on, uh, well, released one of the first Docker chatbots on the market uh, for Docker Gupta and, uh, and scaled it. And uh, now we're working on the, getting the therapist bought out once we can also uh, pass more testing and get voice to work at a profitable manner because we don't really have VC. So at the scale of... Uh, um, a few hundred thousand users, uh, the API bills matter quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, these spaces have been pretty helpful because I have some trouble with, like, running uh, a voice transformer, trying to run it on the browser, on web GPU. And then the person that wrote Transformers.js comes in here and just says, oh, yeah, the, uh, that backend is messed up. Just try <laughs> just try Blasm Synth and, and stuff. So these have been very, very interesting and technical spaces. Somewhere. Yeah, we need to get Zenova in here for text uh, Zenova is the guy who, who Nisto was referring to. Uh, Al, Junaid, you want to give a few words of intro and say hi, and then we'll, we'll start. Just briefly, please, because I think we need to get going. Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Junaid. I'm the resident noob. Uh, I started messing around with AI at the beginning of the year, and I also host the uh, Denver AI Tinkerers. It's coming up next week, and if you're in Colorado area, greater Denver, please join us. It's going to be a blast. Hi, I'm Al Chang. I'm kind of an old school technologist, uh, just getting started with AI again, and uh, just uh, here to help. Yep. All right, folks. So I think we've had a whole space on this, uh, Swix uh, and uh, uh, and Simon Wilson and me, and then many, many other folks chimed in the second this was released. Was that Swix? Was that Sunday? I, I, it's hard to keep track of actual days. Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. So last week, exactly during our spaces, by the way, as we were talking, um, ChatGPT, Logan, and everybody else from OpenAI announced uh, general availability of ChatGPT with code interpreter, so GPT-4 with code interpreter. Um, and uh, I think we, we just heard from Matt that like even some folks who got access to this laptop a little bit because it's maybe potentially because of its like very horrible name that's really hard to type interpreter and get lost in the R's. But it's a extremely powerful new superpower that we've got. And we've had a whole space talking about uh, use cases that people already had. It was like three days into it. And since then, I bet that many, many more people tried it. Uh, I think Swix, what, 20,000 listens to that, to that space plus the pod, like at least, like people definitely want to hear new use cases, right? Yeah, uh, not much else to add about it. I, I think it's uh, the future. For yeah, Swix so, so uh, posted a, a, a whole 
deep dive essay and and uh, coined it uh, GPT 4.5 uh, between us friends. And one of the interesting things about it is that we think, at least that's where we are currently after playing around with this, is that it's a fine-tuned model. So they kept training this on actually running code and executing code. That's, that's what we believe. We don't know. Nobody confirmed this. And then uh, that it's fine-tuned from an earlier checkpoint of GPT-4. And so we actually had some folks on Spaces talking about that it's like less restricted and like uh, better like previous times. Um, so it's an interest. Oh, and we actually, I think Nisten, right? We have some folks who tell us they're using code interpreter without the code part. <laughs> they just talk to GPT-4 <laughs> just because it's like, it's that model. And I think also they took down the 25 messages per hour restriction on code interpreter. Um, I've had, I've had like oh, three, wow. four hour sessions and it, it stopped. Like I, I didn't saw complaints. So uh, that's. So it's just better. It, than it's, just better. it's also fast. I think it's fast because like <laughs> not many people maybe use this by default. And this could be the reason for the speed, but it's, it's definitely faster for sure. Uh, I think also context window. Was it Yam? Somebody summarized the context window and they told us the context window for code interpreter is 8K versus the regular GPT-4. Actually, that could be also 8K. You mean Yam copied and pasted it hey, to someone Yam's else? in the audience. And I would encourage <laughs> you to come up, please. And Swix, you and Yam need to kiss in the cup because Yam is doing a lot of legwork to take down the stuff that he posted and uh yam is a yam, yam is working on that and it's it's very visible and you guys need to do there you go yam uh you need to clear the air in, in... however for real and gabriel will bring it up as well and we're going to keep talking about code interpreter because that's what we're here to do <sighs> Nisten and a few other folks and we started cooking with code interpreter and by cooking mean uh, I mean, we started stretching the complete boundaries of what's possible there. And I think Simon Wilson kickstarted this with, with the latent space pod. So uh, for folks who are not following latent space pod, feel free to follow Swix, uh, his main account, not this uh, hidden one. And uh, Swix reposted the spaces we had. Simon Wilson was able to run Node.js and Dino within Code Interpreter, even though OpenAI didn't allow for that by uploading like a binary and asking code interpreter to generate. Simon then promptly said they, you know, they fine-tuned the model away from that. And we found ways anyway to ask it to, <laughs> to do some stuff. I have a thread on how I was able to run a vector DB, Chroma, inside the code interpreter. Uh, I ran whisper.cpp. We saw some folks running GPT-2 inside code interpreter, right? So like, imagine, <laughs> imagine a, 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 an LLM... GPT-4 running another and talking to it. It's like a little brother inside. I, I personally love that inception. I, I don't know if the person who ran GPT-2 is in the audience. As, uh, as Dan, I think, was, was the nickname. Listen, I don't know. Uh, Surya. Surya. He also wrote the search to PDF plugin yeah. for, uh, uh, for GPT-4 plugins. And he wrote that in like two days. And, and it's more used than like any other enterprise Thing we which is pretty Surya. hilarious. We need to get Surya because, here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he just did that as a he said, I'm just gonna do a search plugins for PDFs, and it's like the most used that's, one right that's now. That's so dope, it's pretty and, amazing. Uh, again, in that space, we've talked about having like a living manual, sort of speak, uh, for code interpreter use cases because 
you know, it's coding. So it covers pretty much everything that we can think of as coders, uh, maybe just in Python, maybe restricted to an environment. And um, I've been trying to do that with the code interpreter can hashtag. And I encourage all of you, let me, um, let me pin this to the top of the, of, of the space, the Jumbotron. If you have an interesting code uh, interpreter thing, and uh, I'll bring up Skalski P to, to the stage as well, and Lantos, oh, so many good friends. Um, if you have a, a very interesting code interpreter technique or skill or new thing that people can do without coding skills, please, you know, please tag with this hashtag so folks can find this otherwise. Um, I will cover the main three things the code interpreter gave us besides the new model. One of them is uploading files. And uh, we've since since we've talked, we've noticed that you can upload up to 250 megabyte files, and those can be zips of other files. So we've uploaded like full models, uh, weights. We've uploaded bin files. Um, it's incredible that you can now drag and drop like, a whole directory and have ChatGPT just know about this and read about this. We've uploaded weights in in embeddings. Uh, you can then obviously execute code in a secure environment, which is again incredible. And you can download files. You can ask it to actually like generate a download file for you, which is also super, super cool. Uh, maybe one last thing I'll say before I'll give it to the audience for a few more cool uh, use cases. And folks in the stage, please feel free to raise your hand. I'll get to you in the order that you raise your hand if you have a use case. Um, some folks built like a built-in memory, built-in brain within Code Interpreter, just asking it to save to a file. That's what I try to do with my VectorDB. And then they download that memory at the end of every session and then upload this to the next one and have some like a prompt that uh, reminds the ChatGPT like to start from that point. So like in addition to the context window, they're also having like a separate offloaded file persisted memory. So Code Interpreter, incredible, again, uh, potentially GPT 4.5. And if you haven't played with this, feel free to, if you don't know what to play with, uh, follow the code interpreter can hashtag and let's get to Skalski. What's up, man? Uh, hi, hello. Do you hear me? Yeah, guys? we can hear you fine. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I've been playing a lot with code interpreter over the past five days, uh, mostly with computer vision use cases because that's that's what I do. Uh, I haven't introduced myself. I, I'm pretty much doing computer vision full-time for the past five years um, uh, and uh, was focusing on, like when I saw that you can input image and video, that was immediately what I was thinking. Like we need to, we need to make it to computer vision. So I, I went through uh, some low uh, effort tasks. So I managed to run uh, old school computer vision algorithms, uh, face detection, uh, tracking of objects, stuff like that. But I also managed to, yeah, to exploit it a little bit. So you can you can add YOLO object detection models to the list of models that were run uh, in uh, in code interpreter. There are some problems with memory management, so uh, I'm not yet uh, like fully happy with the result. But yeah, I managed to run it on images and on, on videos. Uh, and the things that are super cool uh, and are kind of like underrated right now, like uh, false positives. So when when the when the model detects something that shouldn't be detected, uh, you can really use text to ask code interpreter to filter out false detections. You can you can just like give it your feeling, like why that stuff is happening or when or where. 
and it's very good at uh, at cleaning the detections, which was kind of like mind blowing for me. And uh, one thing that I noticed that it sucks <laughs> at is uh, I I managed to create an application that uh, counts objects moving on the video when they cross the line, and I didn't do use any of the shelf libraries. I, I just had detector and say, okay, now draw a line and, and uh, count objects when they cross the line. It's terrible at, at, at that. Writing math logic to figure out that something crossed something. Uh, we had like 10 prompts or 12 prompts exchange and I basically bailed out on that. I decided, <laughs> okay, forget it. Forget it. Um, For so there are some things that blow my mind, but there are something that, yeah, Probably not. So, for, right. uh, folks, feel free to, to follow Skalski. And also, I just pinned to the top of the tweet uh, his brand new awesome code interpreter use cases, Git repo. And there's a list, there's a bunch of like use cases there. This could also serve as a de facto manual. So, go, feel free to go there, add PRs, and follow that for updates. Um, and I want to get to Lentos because he seems to be unmuting. What's up, Lentos? Oh, I was just going to say I can't follow him because he's blocked me. Sad face. Oh no! I, I noticed that, but I not, I'm not sure why. I will undo that. All right, I'm, I'm the peacemaker in this in the spaces. Please kiss and make up you two as well. Everybody should get along. Yeah. Yay! Uh, I want to get to some other folks who came up on stage recently. And uh, Gabriel, welcome to talk about code interpreter and your use cases. Junaid, if you play with this, I would like to hear two more opinions before we move on to the next incredible thing. Yeah, hey. I played for, uh, hosting this. Oh, stuff. you guys are talking about let's get together on the engine. Sorry, I should have I should have been explicit about the order. <laughs> no worries. So uh, I just posted a comment on this uh, space about the um, the message cap on a conversation. So even though in the UI it still says twenty five messages per three hours, um, if you look at the um, if you look at the uh, network requests, you can see that. And I posted this. Uh, it's actually 100 messages per three hours now. And um, I don't know if they're scaling that up and down as uh, demand you know, increases and decreases, or they're just trying to trick people into conserving their messages. Um, but it's definitely been on 100 for a little while now. Um, and can you confirm? Same thing you can see in the network request. Can you confirm as well. the same for like the regular yeah. mode? Or do you think the regular mode uh, is, is, is still restricted? Well, Based on just the fact that there there's only one uh, message cap, they don't have a message cap per model. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just consistent across all the GPT-4 models. And that's also my uh, my experience in the last, it's been a little while now. It's probably, you know, at least a couple weeks uh, that it's been higher. Yeah. Um, and the same thing we discussed, I think, on Saturday about the context window. And you can also see it in the API that the uh, context window is uh, is 8K for plugins and um, and code interpreter, and it's uh, 4K for the, for the base uh, GPT-4 model. That's awesome. So so like like Swig said, yeah. better in every single way. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks, um, everyone. Yeah. In terms of use cases, um, in terms of use cases, I can share. Um, I've been digging around a lot in code interpreter, and I was really trying to hone in on like. Why are the packages that are installed there, the Python packages in the environment, like why are they there? Right, some of them seem really random, and um, you know some of them make a lot of sense. And they released it saying it's for um, it's for uh, basically data, you know, data analysis. 
and a lot of them make sense for that. But some of them are just really wild, like the um, the ML packages and the. Um, so Gabriel, just a quick interrupt, yeah. uh, folks in the audience. If you look up at the jumbotron, where we pinned tweets, two tweets before. There's a tweet by Peter zero zero G, who actually like printed all the packages and asked uh, GPT four to kind of summarize what they do. So if you have no idea about like the potential capabilities of uh, of what it can do, feel free to pin that uh, that tweet for yourself, and then you know it has a bunch of descriptions of what's possible. So go ahead, Gabriel. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I've done the same. I, I oh, and Gabriel done the same kind of thing with just a short. <laughs> I got it to do. Yeah, I got it to do a four-word description for each one. So yep. if you're looking for a really short description of each package, I'll post that tweet. And if you're looking for a long one, I think Peter's is great. Um, and what you can see there is that there are packages for web development, right? There's Fast API, there's Flask, um, there's a bunch of other packages uh, for web development. And I mean, besides the fact that there's no uh, network access, which obviously, you know, other people using it might be turning it on, but it was just interesting to me. My perspective is that OpenAI has been using this internally throughout all their teams uh, for development and, you know, testing it internally, but probably also using it pretty consistently. They probably have access and, to the internet um, in theirs, I think, right? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> they have access to the internet and they can install new packages, but I think they also have the ability instead of uploading files and downloading files, uh, they have the ability to just mount to persist? their, no. uh, you know, you can their, persist memory. I don't think to persist. I think they just mount their local working directory on their computer, right? Wherever they're working. So they have their active directory where they have their project and they just mount that and give uh, the code interpreter access to the whole directory with their whole, you know, repo of the project. And, I'm um, green with and then, and then jet, <laughs> Yeah, and then ChatGPT is just you know writing code to their to their working directory and reading from there, and it can explore their whole project. We can do that now by uploading. You can zip your whole project and upload it, the whole thing zipped, and have it unzipped, and then it can kind of explore your whole project. But then once it makes some changes, you have to you want to commit them. You have to ask it to zip the whole thing back, download it, and upload it. And then I think what they're able to do is more of like a, a, a kind of peer programming thing where. You know, the developer makes some changes and then ChatGPT makes some changes and they're kind of working together. Um, this is taking it one step further. I don't know if they have this or not. Uh, Gabriel, Gabriel, let me, let me. But it would be super cool. Yeah. I think we're in the realm of updates and less of speculation, but I would love to explore this more mm -hmm. with you in the, in the next uh, stage because this applies to open source and how people, we already saw somebody tag us after the last uh, uh, space and said, hey, I'm, I'll build this like, open source. I would love to pin this to the top of the space. However, I want to move on to like other use case and then move on to other updates. Sorry to interrupt you, man, sure. but thanks. I think that the collaborative, persistent code uh, uh, superpower that probably maybe at some point will come to us as well, plus the internet access is like another 10, 10x. I want to get to Skalski and then Lentos, and I think we'll move on to, to Claude. Thanks, Gabriel. Yeah. I have I have a question. I'm not really sure, guys, if you noticed that. I, I was obviously experimenting with PyTorch because I needed it for computer vision. I noticed that the PyTorch version that is installed in the environments actually pre-compiled to work with CUDA. So it's a GPU version of PyTorch, even though that in the environment you don't have access to GPU, you only have CPU. So I'm curious, guys, what you think about that? Why is that? Um, any ideas? I, ideas that 
just come from what Gabriel just said. Likely we're getting the same Kubernetes is like container. However, the OpenAI folks have like unlimited stuff. They probably also have CUDA. That would make sense, right? The, the, like they're probably connected to a GPU as well. Uh, but that's just an idea. Lantos, I want to get to you and then we'll move on to Claude, folks. And folks in the audience, feel free to hit the little right button on the bottom left. It looks like a little message and leave comments through commenting as well. Moving on to Claude V2. Ah, uh, folks in the audience and folks on stage, feel free to hit up the emojis plus one, minus one. If you have tried Cloud V2, if you like it and you haven't liked it, but I'm going to cover this uh, anyway, because I think uh, somebody somebody called me. I think Roy from PyCon called me a, a Cloud V2 fanboy yesterday, and I first got offended. And I told him that I'm just a fanboy for 24 hours. Before that, I was a code interpreter fanboy. And then I figured with myself whether or not I am a fanboy of Cloud V2. And yeah, I am. And uh, uh, Swix told me to relax. And in fact, I invited him here to be the wet blanket on the other side of this. Um, Anthropic, the company that we, we can definitely consider number two after OpenAI, I think that's fair. Uh, in terms of like quality, um, have long released Claude version, and uh, they made some waves when they released Claude, uh, aka Klong, with the 100k context window. They have released Claude V2, and let me paste uh, some Claude, uh, sorry, pin some Claude uh, thingies in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Jumbotron, sorry. Uh, however, Claude V2 released with multiple stuff, and I want to focus on two stuff, and I think we'll cover the UI first, and then we're going to talk about the model itself. Uh, UI-wise and product-wise, my hot take, and I'll pin this to the top, uh, and we'll unfortunately not debate this, uh, but I love you, uh, all of you, is that uh, as products, Cloud V2 right now beats ChatGPT as a product, as a, my mom can go into two websites and she'll prefer one versus the other one, or my friends that don't know AI and not as plugged in as we are, uh, theirs is free. Uh, and, and I think Cloud V2 beats GPT 3.5, which is also free. Uh, and... 100k context window with the model being traded on 200 uh, uh, unleashes a bunch of use cases that were not possible before. It just like frees you up. If you heard uh, Skalski just like say the limitations of code interpreter, a bunch of these limitations stem from the 8k context window. If you print a bunch within the code that you're doing, uh, code interpreter sometimes forgets what you guys talked about 20 minutes ago. And the 100K context window also means a long, long conversation history with the model. And I think it's really great. Not to mention that you can drag and drop full books in there. Those books need to be in like one or two files. And they still don't accept zip files. And I'm planning to release an extension soon that does this for us. And, you know, unifies and single files. So hopefully by next week we'll have some updates. However, uh, once you upload that much, or you can upload like a transcript or a podcast, you can do a bunch of stuff because Cloud V2 is also better trained on code. And we saw a significant jump in, wait, I'm switching to the model. So let me get back to the UI. The UI allows you to upload files. Uh, the UI has a command K interface, which, uh, which I personally love. I hit command K in every website and see if they support it. Uh, you can just like start a new chat real quick. It doesn't have share. But it's definitely a refreshed and free UI. It's called cloud.ai, and that's the URL. And if you haven't tried it, definitely try it. Uh, comments about just the product side and the UI side before we move to the model. Anybody play with this? Anybody like it? Anybody loves the upload files feature? I would love to hear uh, hands and comments. Go ahead, Matt. 
a bit of a weird thing, but what I've noticed is it's actually quite frustrating. Uh, if you want to paste text mm. in, it actually, if it's over a certain length, will paste in as a file. Little small thing. Hopefully they'll change it, but it is really annoying because then you can't edit it. Um, oh, ChatGPT does do that much better, but I generally agree with you that overall the product experience on Claude is significantly it's the better. New, the new one, the, product, the, the new, the fresh coat of paint they released for us. I will say that Claude so far yeah. was kind of a hidden gem that only folks who got access to the API actually got access to like their UI, and that UI was very restrictive. And folks who have access to Cloud API know what I'm talking about. I think that UI is still around. Yeah. It still shows your history. It's like very restrictive. It's not as cool as this. It's not as sleek as this. So we like Cloud AI, definitely a plus. Check it out. Um, now yeah. let's talk about the model behind this UI because that model also changed and several incredible things that changed with it. First of all, they released a new model. Same price as the previous one. We love to see this. Please, everybody, including OpenAI. Continue giving the same price and, and cheaper and cheaper down the line. We love to see this. Uh, second of all, uh, they claim it's been fine-tuned on several things. One of them is code. And we actually saw a bump in the uh, evaluation called Human Eval, which is a, a set of uh, questions that OpenAI released. And I think the bump was from like 55 to 78%, which I think beats 3.5 and is like, not there compared to GPT-4, correct, Jan? And 4. And 4 on past first, on the wait, first wait, wait, round. Four is also uh, not, G not on GPT-4 that is allowed to refine and fix this oh. error. But on, on the first trial, yeah, by a little bit. So that's yeah. one, that, oh, the, so news to me, and thanks, Jan, for, for joining in. Uh, the, the, the past numbers is how many times it's able to reflect upon its answers and improve them? Uh, the past time is uh, a kind yeah. of uh, what I mean. What I meant by uh, uh, reflection is even stronger. GPT-4, you know, if if, if GPT-4 sees the exception, it can come up with a solution. So this is not in the human eval test. But if you use GPT-4 this way, uh, you get to 90 something percent, which is, which I think it's more realistic if you think about it. Uh, no programmer writes the whole code in one go. Uh, you write it uh, iteratively, uh, fix bugs, and so on. And also in code interpreter, you see it. Um, but it is remarkable to see, you know, state of the art on first. Uh, yeah, pass. and uh, like it's significantly better in code. And I suggest folks who previously tried Claude and haven't uh, worked in Press to try as well. Uh, an additional crazy thing that they've trained on is a 100K context window. And they've actually trained, they claim, on 200K context window. So twice. As, as much as the previous round. And uh, we have, we follow this, this one guy <laughs> of your press, the guy behind uh, self ask with, with search and the guy behind Alibi, the, the, the ability to like extend context windows. He just defended his PhD and he talked about context windows and he was impressed with the way they presented and the way they showed their loss curve. And so this could be, we saw the paper maybe this week, the folks saw the paper where like the context window dips in the middle and it's like less attention in the middle of the prompt than in the beginning and the end. And uh, it looks like that's not the case for Claude as well. So I suggest you try the huge context window. Uh, and uh, Al, you have a hand, your raised hand, and then we'll talk about some other model changes. Yeah, I would talk a little bit about, I, I actually won, I used Claude about a month and a half ago to win a best solo hacker at the Craft Ventures uh, Hackathon, uh, David Sachs won. Yeah, it had like 200 entries, but 
It's uh, exceptionally good at uh, creative writing and also like comparing and contrasting. It, you know, I don't think people have really uh, taken advantage of what the context window is, is capable of doing. It's more than just loading single files in. So what I did for the project was I loaded these large legislative bills, uh, you know, these like 50 page, you know, unreadable bills and you turn them into relatable narratives. So one of the things that Claude can do is uh, you can adopt a persona. So a lot of times with summaries, summaries uh, just compress the text that you see, uh, but you can tell it to say, write a thousand words on uh, from a like social conservative point of view or a bus driver's point of view or a social liberal point of view. And what that does is it takes all of its knowledge about the outside world and gives you uh, not a summary, but it gives you uh, essentially an essay about the practical effects of something like a bill. Uh, you know, I've actually been working with uh, the idea of, you know, reading a book and having it tell you what I would have learned from this, because that that's actually probably what you're more interested in. Uh, what it can do uh, in terms of comparing and contrasting large essays is exceptional. So you could have it say, write 2000 words from a social conservative point of view, 2000 words from a social liberal point of view and then have it contrast the essays, which is something that would be very difficult for a human to do. So you could give it multiple files and have it uh, just give you uh, a, a more balanced uh, approach. Uh, so you, you get rid of like some of the bias that, that comes in. Uh, well, my, my dream go-to, not go-to, my, my dream project that I never get to is to create this for Twitter as like a Chrome extension that I can like select a bunch of tweets and then say like remove the bias from this and just give me like the de-biased version of like all of this. And uh, yeah, I you agree know, with you completely. Like the cross-reference ability of cloud between because of this context window is incredible for many, many use cases. Yeah, I would say that it's um, as far it's not as good at chat uh, at, at GPT as GPT four for certain things, but that context window is fantastic. And I would say a lot of people that are using embeddings and retrieval, uh, you know, you can actually just put the whole thing in the context window and ask your questions to that, and then you have a baseline to compare your results uh, from it. Uh, most people, if they're chatting to a website or something like that, you know, you, you actually can just put the whole thing in there uh, as opposed to trying to chunk it up and do questions. And you'll see that your results are like much better that way. Um, and for most people, that that would be good enough. Um, so additional thing that Cloud, uh, uh, thanks, thanks, Al. Uh, the yeah, additional yeah. thing that, that Cloud was uh, trained on, uh, they've talked about the output tokens, just the number of output tokens of how much Cloud is able to generate. And they've said that previous models, uh, I don't know if the same about GPT, I haven't seen numbers on GPT-4, but they've said that previous Cloud models were focused on shorter outputs, uh, just as they were trained. And this latest model uh, was trained to output up to 4,000 tokens in, in output. Uh, this is added to the fact that they also fine-tuned it and like trained to output JSON files, complete JSON files as as responses. Which you know, we as as engineers, we waited for this and OpenAI gave us functions uh, via kind of here you go. There's the function interface, and uh, we love the function interface. The function interface kind of locks us down to the OpenAI ecosystem, and it's great to see another model that's like you know very close to state of the art in human eval that also is now fine-tuned to respond in full intact JSONs, and those JSONs can be 4,000 tokens at length. Um, and uh, any, any thoughts on like these, these aspects of the Yeah, of the I, I, can, I, can, I can confirm on the, uh, it being able to write like large amounts of output. I mean, I was having it write like two or 3,000 word uh, 
like sort of essays and outputs and it was fine with that. Yep. And I think it's, um, I'm going to stick with GPT-4 myself, but uh, this might be pretty useful for uh, you know, just dumping in an entire uh, code base, given the 100K context window, and then getting some reviews and stuff, and then maybe moving some of the stuff. Once I, once I stop posting spaces and build that Chrome extension, that like you upload the zip and it flatlines it to one file and then uploads it, uh, then we'd be able to do like a proper comparison. Because right now, GB4, especially Code Interpreter, can take zip files and then extract them. Uh, oh, one difference that I want to highlight for folks in the audience, GPT-4, when you upload, uh, with Code Interpreter, uh, allows you to upload files, zip files, etc. We talked about this. It does not load them into context window, right? So there's like 8K context window. The files that you upload are not automatically in the context window. The model doesn't know. It has to write Python code that actually like prints the files. And it usually does like the first few lines, hint, hint, to folks in the audience who get my drift. But it doesn't usually read all the files unless you specifically ask it to. Uh, and and Claude does. So everything you upload to Claude goes directly to the like immediate working memory of the context window. And that's a major difference to, to watch out for and also take care of. Go ahead, Jan. Uh, I would like to ask everyone, before I say my opinion, what do you think about it in comparison to GPT-4, about the performance? What do you think? I, uh, I I would like comments from folks who actually used both and did the comparison. And I before before I get to folks, please raise your hand to answer. Uh, I want to call out Swix's uh, small menu bar, which allows you to actually. Uh, Swix, you wanna? Can you give us like a brief two minutes on the menu bar thing? Uh, yeah, well, you don't have to choose. Just run it all the time on every single chat. <laughs> uh, so it's a little, little electron app that runs in the, the menu bar and I've been maintaining it and I just added Cloud2 this week. Um, it's, Cloud2 is not super stable yet. Sometimes it will fail to submit the button. Um, so you just have to retry manually to, to submit the button. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to um, A-B test uh, models, but then also just amplify every question with, you know, between four to five different chat models uh, with, with your answers. So um, I've been trying it. It's up to you if you want to use you, it. Uh, <laughs> Swix, where, where can I find it? Yeah, where can I find it? Going, where can I find it? I was about to ask Swix to pin the, the tweet that announces this to the top oh, yeah, of the space yeah. if you can. Yeah, I'll pull, I'll pull awesome. it. Yeah, just, just Thanks. Small so, Yam, here's your answer. Basically, cool. and maybe for Nistan as well, you don't have to stop using. Yeah, yeah you don't just, have to choose. And see the, the <laughs> yeah. um, and so, I think the last thing that we need to acknowledge at Quad is the multilinguality. So, it's really, they actually focused on showing us how much better like the new one from previous ones and they posted blue scores bleu scores cloud 2 is significantly better at languages than the previous versions i think yeah to, to answer your question i think it's close to gpt4 if not better at some things hebrew goes fluently and usually hebrew is not that great uh russian and ukrainian that i use also go fluently and that that part is really really good to have with a lot of context because you sometimes need to do a lot of translation or at least I need to do a lot of translation. Uh, yeah, multilinguality works great. Uh, I was surprised, absolutely. Uh, what I think, if you just compare the two on the same problem, the same question, I have a feeling that GPT-4 is slightly better, but I just don't have a, an example to tell you, okay, here. I don't know, it's a strange situation, but I, I really wanted to ask you, like, 
what did you try and work better here and there? I so here's my here's my use case. Here's my think. use case that ChatGPT and GPT four currently cannot do. Yesterday, Lex Friedman interviewed uh, <laughs> Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in one of the weirdest turns of history uh, this podcast was. And uh, given that I know kind of who Benjamin Netanyahu is from before, I decided to not listen to this. I decided to use the tools that we have at our disposal. So I ran this through Whisper with diarization So I have like a very nice transcript of who's talking when. I took that. I just dumped this as a text file. And I agree with Matt. Uh, it's a little bit annoying that Claude turns whatever you paste into like a little text file, uploads that because you can't edit it. However, I uploaded that transcript directly to Claude and then I asked it to do sentiment analysis, entity extraction, uh, and sentiment analysis and entity extraction. Something that, you know, uh, if I'd asked GPT code interpreter, it would probably write some Python code to do this and Claude just kind of did it. And I haven't seen GPT-4 being able to do this for bigger files. And uh, one, sec one second, just let me just let me uh, let this point. I continued by saying, hey, because of the new coding abilities of Claude, I asked it, like, hey, bring me a Python file that dumps whatever table of topics he mentioned and sentiment, negative, positive, dump it into a word cloud. That's something the code interpreter can actually do and show you. But I asked it from Claude, because previously Claude was shit at coding, and it gave me a Python file that ran from the first time. I didn't have to change anything. There was no bugs. Uh, and then showed me a word cloud of everything that was mentioned by BB uh, in that uh, podcast. And it all took like maybe seven minutes. And I don't know if for bigger context windows, GPT-4 can currently do this. Go ahead, Al. Uh, yeah, you know, you can, I, I've actually been putting a lot of transcripts for podcasts in there. And you can actually have the, uh, because it has seen so much about the speakers and it knows about the speakers, you can actually have them continue a discussion about things that they didn't actually discuss oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah so it's like you know you can have it say okay well what are some topics they disagreed on and then you know some things that they didn't cover tangentially you can just have it give you another two minutes of uh, of interview and it does a pretty reasonable job especially with public figures that it actually has uh, a lot of their background on so it's pretty interesting and not to mention free and gpt4 <laughs> needs a 20 bucks a month payment and Claude oh, that's a, is free. That's a good point, too. Um, for those of you that have eval keys, um, you'll notice that they're, they're actually not charging you for them. Uh, so you can, you can actually go on as long as you want. The limitation is that you can only do one request uh, per organization. So if it's just a, a single person, uh, you can, you can kind of – they only charge you, basically, when you uh, start deploying for commercial purposes. So that's something that people may not have realized. So I think we've covered everything, right? Trained on 200K context, which they can enable tomorrow for us. And we'll get like 2X, it's gonna be insane. Uh, it's, there is some stuff that they have uh, in cloud in Anthropic called Constitution AI. So they have a mix of RLHF uh, access and Constitution AI. So they're working on their model to actually be like more helpful, but also like more safe and less GPT, uh, less jailbreakable. Uh, they talked at length about this. We talked about human email better and same price and free playground. I think we've covered most of it. So anything else about Claude that we haven't covered, folks, feel free to raise your hand and tell us. And if not, I think uh, I think we can move on. What do you guys think? Um, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll mention briefly, like, uh, did you talk about the multiple follow-up uh, No. Go ahead. So I think it's just an interesting uh, way, difference between Cone Interpreter and Claude. Um, Code interpreter, you can only upload one file. 
right? Uh, but it's, it can be a zip file with multiple files inside. So it's de facto multiple files. Uh, but then you can only run code on that. Uh, whereas what Claude here is doing is something slightly different, which is actually, to me is interesting, which is you can upload multiple files. It just reads the file straight into the context. And it's using that 100K context to synthesize answers. Um, so you can do, for example, uh, you know, PDF A and PDF B and give me a comparison between the two of them or like synthesize you know, knowledge across them. Um, and I think that is something that code interpreter cannot do. Um, because code interpreter will only run code across files. So I think that's noteworthy. That's uh, it's called um, genuinely coming up with like one new thing that is not copying ChatGPT. Um, and uh, good for them. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, no zip allowed, but we're going to fix this with an extension and hopefully talk about this next week. I want to say hi to uh, Weather Report. Uh, feel free to chime in. Uh, sorry, you, you raised your hand and wanted to come up before. So if you have a comment about Code Interpreter, uh, we've moved past it. But if you have a comment about Cloud, feel free to tell us. What's up with the report? Yo, uh, actually, I had only one thing about Code Interpreter that in the previous space I talked about that there was, there was a hypothesis I had about Code Interpreter, which no, is sorry, sorry, to no, use no, it I as a kind of... Something. Sorry, man, because it's recorded, we move on. Uh, and uh, let's talk about code interpreter next time. Uh, I apologize. Okay, cool. uh, uh, we'll move on. Uh, I think that some folks are saying that their audio is glitching, and so uh, they're not able to. And I want to see if I think Joseph has comment about code interpreter. Joseph Polak. We'll give him a second to log in, and then I think we'll move on to other updates because we have uh, the, we have many many other things to talk about. What's up, Joseph? Welcome to stage. Hi there, folks. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, I didn't even know all about that code interpreter stuff with the files, so I'm really happy uh, to have heard it. About cloud, though. Um, so for cloud, um, well, I'm still on wait list, first of all. So It's free now. You can, access, you can access it right now on cloud.ai. There's no wait list anymore. Uh, unless you're right. in the States, and you'll have to get a VPN. Okay, okay, I'll definitely check that out. My question was about using um, cloud and actually um, code interpreter through API. Do you think that's ever going to exist or if it's coming? So Just cloud is available via API, but I think that's waitlisted. Uh, I have talked with cloud folks and they said the, the waitlist is now like going faster. So they're ready to get more people in. I think because of the new safety updates, they're less afraid. Uh, so definitely apply for the uh, waitlist on Quad's uh, uh, account. Uh, Code Interpreter is not available via API. And we've seen some folks who hack it together with like, uh, I think a browser plugin that, that proxies something. So I don't know if you remember the, the unofficial quote unquote Code Interpreter API uh, and how to access this, but it's not available in the official OpenAI APIs as of yet. We haven't seen them no, no, no. For, for the record, there's, there's, there's no unofficial code interpreter API. There, there is, there's the browser side thing that we're trying to stand. Yeah. But nobody's made any, nobody's made any uh, adapter for it yet. I think you can, if you want, using Puppeteer. Uh, I would not recommend Definitely. It. If anything, there was uh, some folks that tagged us, and I need to go and find this, that they're working on like an open source version of code interpreter that uses Lamar and stuff. And that one, this will likely be the way forward if you do want something programmatic that has code interpreter capabilities. Go ahead, Nissan. 
just to, there's also chatbot UI on GitHub. So yeah, for the other people that are hacking something together, I'll wait until there is something public before because then we don't we don't know what's yeah. yeah. Like everything open source is going to be worse because it, you are missing the model. Yeah, because we think uh, that it's fine to and actually <laughs> knowing how to run code, right? That, that's kind of the highlight that we got left yes. with from the last space. Uh, we think it's smarter because of that. And one of the main things, again, sorry, going back to Codentum just real quick, it is able to then fix itself and ask itself, for, oh, oops, I made a mistake. Let me try again. Uh, Matt, I saw you unmute yourself. Feel free to go ahead. Well, yeah, just a quick oh. thing. So, uh, from what I know, OpenAI will be offering fine-tuning relatively soon. Um, so at that point, you theoretically could go and fine-tune your own code interpreter-like model, even if they don't offer it, uh, which is going to be... You can cool. also theoretically, not that we would recommend, but theoretically right now, you can start distilling some stuff from code interpreter, asking it questions, generate code, and store it to a file, ask it to download, and then, you know quote-unquote, generated data set, but not that you should, but you can theoretically as well, so that when it's time to fine-tune, you have some data set. Um, yeah, theoretically. I don't know if a share GBT currently supports those types of conversations, but if it does, I'm sure that's going to happen yeah. really soon. Um, I, I don't think it's maintained uh, because ChatGPT itself... Well, I, 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 I want to speak for ChatGPT. I, I know Stephen. Um, but I can help you move the conversation back to cloud. Yes, please. <laughs> Let's move back to cloud. Thank you, Six. Thank you. Okay. So just between between the um, how many how many people are listening to 60. this chat? Anyway, I think it's like six. I think sixty people. Um, email support at anthropic.com for the cloud API. Yep. Email them. State your use case, and they'll likely get you in. And you can use uh, Swix's uh, menu bar to actually kind of run them in parallel with the. Mega prompt feature, mega prompt, super prompt, Swix. What is it called? I think Swix dropped. Um, uh, there is like one one prompt that you type, and then it all goes to both uh, to all the models. Uh, I want to recognize some folks in the audience. Nova, uh, hey, hey, uh, feel free to raise your hand if you want to come up. Obviously, uh, I saw some other uh, uh, URI saw in the audience. Gabriel, Max AI, welcome, Dexter. There's a bunch of like folks who are usually here, and it's great to see. And uh, I think we're moving on to a very spicy one. What do you guys think about XAI? So I'm I'm pasting the the, the summary of the people. Uh, Elon Musk and a bunch of other folks have uh, announced X.AI. They're essentially answer to OpenAI. We've all seen Elon kind of talk about AI safety and talk about uh, you know helping open OpenAI and then have it not be open since then. Uh, he talked about Truth GPT at some point, and finally they announced XAI. Uh, as we were talking, by the way, I got a notification from XAI, which uh, they're going to have spaces tomorrow to go deep into like deeper into XAI. But so far, there's not a lot of detail. There are some details about the folks who work there. So they have folks uh, who wrote the Adam optimizer. There are other folks. Um, thoughts about XAI before we get to hear what they do. Obviously, there's no product yet. I don't think they've started training. The one thing that I will say is that they will have premium access to Twitter, obviously, because Twitter is now rebranded as X.com. XAI, after uh, closing down the APIs and closing down the, the scraping for Twitter, uh, XAI will now have a, a data set that's in, like insane uh, to train on, on Twitter. And we, we wish them, quote-unquote, good luck. Uh, I would love to hear from folks on stage, what do you think about the announcement, the direction, the people, 
and uh, we're gonna wait for tomorrow to actually hear them talk. I I know Nistan, you have you have some ideas if you want to share to to get started. Well, this is more of a old lady babushka opinion that that's just talking about stuff. Uh, I found it interesting that uh, they went from uh, what was it base GPT through GPT uh, taking on GPT four and this entire competition to uh, doing something more noble, like dedicating it to uh, be better at math and discovering new things in, in physics. So the way I see that, that's pretty noble, but at the same time, I feel like that's a result of having problems hiring in order to be competitive uh, with the other ones. So yeah, this this will be interesting, uh, but the way I see the the whole setup right now is, as the kids say, it's it's pretty mid, in my opinion. As the uh, kids, as though you don't use mid, yeah, not much. Sense. As the kids, not much younger than me, say so yeah. Uh, uh, with that, I will say that like we will see tomorrow from their space. They're probably gonna like you know, use Elon's cloud to maybe try to hire. And it's probably harder now to hire because everybody knows how quick uh, they're getting fired and how much it's not like super, super fun to work for X. Uh, but we are, we're in for a nice ride because they do have access to the cross-pollination from Tesla as well, right? So if they have big questions, uh, Tesla does have a few good folks still, even after Andrew Caprati left. And so they'd be able to like ask them for assistance. There's obviously the whole Dojo thing in play, which we can, you know, I don't think we have time to talk about Dojo and it's not new, uh, but there could be something there. Uh, Gabriel, you, you wanted to come up, uh, maybe you have, yeah, go ahead, Gabriel. Yeah, I was just going to say about XAI. I mean, you mentioned um, Twitter's data and I'd be interested in hearing uh, other people on the stage opinion on, opinion on this because recently there's been a lot of work done on quality of data over quantity of data. And of course, Elon also has uh, a ton of GPUs, you know, reportedly he's bought tens of thousands of GPUs. So that's definitely important in building these big models. But I'd be interested in hearing from people on the stage um, if they think Twitter's data and the kind of data that Twitter has is actually going to be really powerful for training uh, good models. Anybody wants to take this? Yeah, I'll take a little of it. I mean, you know, one of the things that Twitter has that other people don't is that people are actually debating um, issues. So you, I think that's one of the reasons why he's really focused on the idea of Twitter being a source of truth um, and, you know, being sort of unrestricted so that you're not just following like one thread, you watch the narratives being debated and he has access to all that data, so. And community notes, which and community uh, have notes. access and it's really hard. It's really hard to scrape. Like, I don't think it's API-able at all. And it's not super simple to, to scrape at all. I want to get Jan before, I think Matt wanted to unmute and go and then Jan. If Matt, you still want to chime in uh, and then Jan. Yeah, I mean, uh, nothing too much to add here. I think the community notes are very interesting as a way to sort of like reduce hallucinations. Um, I think one of the things that they're going to want to do heavily is invest in sort of filtering that data set because there's a lot of great stuff on Twitter. There's a lot of crap on Twitter. A lot of bots, and, yeah. Yeah, and the more that it seeps in, the worse the model is going to perform. Obviously, scale is important, but data quality is incredibly, incredibly important, and the scale kind of doesn't negate bad data quality. So I think if they do one thing right, it's going to have to be getting the sort of filtering of the data set down, but they do have a ton of incredibly high-quality data. Yep. Um, 
Matt, I think Yam was next, and then we have a few folks who wanted to comment. I think Pharrell wanted to comment. So Yam, and then Pharrell, and then Gabriel. I, I just want to say, uh, of course, if you just uh, take Twitter data and start training your model, uh, you can expect it to, to be, uh, you know, average Twitter, which is not what you want. Uh, what you can do, which is a gold mine, is to uh, transform this data or just rephrase it uh, as other forms. And this just makes the data a gold mine because Twitter does have very, uh, very high quality content here and there. Uh, absolutely. Uh, if you can and, and transform it and rephrase it to uh, a different form. Uh, if, if you want an example, so the paper uh, textbooks are all you need. Uh, basically, they just take data and make it into a tutorial, make it into a textbook, uh, like perfect, clean, clean and everything. It is very easy to do, and you don't need a powerful model to do that. You don't need ChatGPT. You can use it to it uh, with a small model. I'm, I'm currently doing, off, off the record, uh, I'm currently doing it myself uh, uh, in, in a large model. I'm training. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm training we'll get a to model. It. Uh, I think yeah, I, was, we'll get I to have it. a question for you. Anyway, yeah. it's a gold mine. What I'm saying, it's a gold mine. That's so, about Twitter. Uh, ad an additional thing before I get to Pharrell uh, and then Gabriel, additional thing Nistan and I talked about yesterday uh, at length in our like, late night line cooks space uh, that's not going to be scheduled. If you guys are around, feel free to join that one. Uh, Twitter Spaces is also a goldmine. Transcribing Twitter Spaces and seeing all the reaction emojis that they have in real time. Like the space that Elon ran with RFK Jr., for example. If you know in the audience who are actual people instead of bots, and you're able to get like emoji reactions in real time, you, that's a definite, definite, very high signal kind of training set that they have and, and almost nobody else has. And it's really hard to get. Uh, Pharrell, you, you were next, I think, and then Gabriel. Yeah, I wonder what the relation uh, is and, and how useful the Twitter data will be uh, for their goal of building a sort of math reasoning machine, right? Also, do, do we know if they're they're open source, uh, as in like truly open source, or or not? No, we 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 don't know yet. We'll, hopefully, tomorrow we'll be able to ask those questions. However, we've seen Elon take uh, Twitter's algorithm to open source, and now he's like boasting this uh, comparatively as like a like a competitive advantage versus like something like Threads. He's saying like, hey, our algorithm open source. If you go to Threads, you know you're under the Zuck's influence algorithm. So uh, there is definitely an attempt to open source from their side, but we don't know anything about that beyond that. Uh, Gabriel and then Lantos and then Johnny. Yeah. Uh, I, first of all, I think it's uh, funny that um, Elon's shitposting is polluting his uh, data set. Um, but <laughs> yes. I, I would say uh, that it, I think, you know, I Which, by the way, so sorry say, to interrupt. Yeah. If there's anybody with the option to detect shitposting, it's them, right? They're they're going to be able to like build a model that understands this is shitpost. This is like somebody who made an effort to like give us clean information. Uh, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly my point uh, that, that that I was going to make. That uh, Elon was on this crusade uh, before he bought Twitter, and this is kind of why he got forced into buying Twitter because he was going after the bots, and he made a big deal about the bots. And I think they spent a lot of, uh, you know, resources on figuring out what's good content and what's bot content. And another thing is that, you know, we each are kind of experiencing a different Twitter, right? Because we're within, you know, whether it's an ML Twitter or, a, you know, Israel-based Twitter. And yes. there's many different communities. And their Twitter is very good at segmenting those communities and figuring out which content belongs to what community. And they'll have the ability, I think, to segment this data and train 
many different you know models that are good at different things because they're you know in a literature community or in a in a ml community or in you know mma community or whatever i actually uh saw a map of like five million seven million tweets uh all embedded in nomic.ai atlas i don't know if you guys follow nomic they just recently announced like a 17 million round a by the way so kudos to nomic good friends andre the gpt for all team and uh they have like an embedded map of tweets before the API was shut down that they were able to like siphon, etc. And uh, uh, Gabriel, what you're saying is actually like visible in the embedding map. Like you can actually see those, uh, you know, just tweets and then like different areas of t- the political Twitter. Uh, there was a journalist Twitter until all the journalists started leaving. <laughs> There's like a bunch of like different pockets of Twitter that we like don't get ex- uh, sorry, exposed to, not to mention the different languages. There's like a whole Japanese Twitter that's like insane and people go super, super hard and you know translating is easy we talked about cloud being able to translate so they have a bunch of very interesting data and uh i think zuck is also going after that data with threads and i think this is the reason why we'll see threads uh getting continued work and we'll see a lot of investment from their side uh, and but to compare to threads and this we've talked about this yesterday is that twitter has back history and a lot of like uh historical data that they can train on whereas threads is fairly new as well uh, so definitely a bunch of uh, interesting data sets. Johnny and then Lando. Hey, so one thing I think about when I think about the data from Twitter that is potentially lacking in some of the other data sets is colloquial language. Um, because what Twitter has that Facebook doesn't have and a lot of other things don't have, especially from like what you're talking about, like historic, is the way that people actually interact with each other, you know what I mean? And it's and like- And not only that, how it evolved as well, right? Like throughout exactly. Twitter, like 2012, 2013, yep, definitely. And it, and it's so it's like, if the, like, to be honest, like I think the data sets from, from earlier is probably better and stronger um, because it's just gotten out of hand. But I agree with what, I, I'm not sure it was Yam or, or who said, it, like the, the filtering uh, because all right, let's, this is black box. It's not, it's not open source. Like Elon has not been shy about his kind of like response to what he perceives as wokeism and all of that stuff. I'll be super curious. I mean, there's a big team on this, but I will be super curious to see what that bears out in the actual model because God, I mean, there's, 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 equal parts or more parts disinformation on Twitter than there is information. So if we're talking about source of truth, that rings some alarm bells for me, um, for me personally. Uh, so th- those are just my thoughts. Yeah. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, Lentos, go ahead. And then Gabriel, let's finish on Gabriel and then we'll move on to the next topic. Cool. Yeah. So I think it's going to be hugely bullish for this data. And from the perspective of relating idea space and people and the relations between those i think that's probably going to be more of a good information than conversation um because you can build so much from that like dating well i mean this is just one like a dating thing or finding people or finding brain power or com- compute that's going to be huge um and on to touch on the uh open sourceness of the data i think not open sourcing it um at some point is going to be hugely politically bad for Elon to do, um, you know, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's my thoughts on that. Awesome. 
Thanks, Lantos. Gabriel, let's end up. And then, uh, Matt, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff. Yeah, uh, just on the kind of data, I think, you know, for those of us who, who ran, uh, like, the early versions of Llama before they got fine-tuned in all kinds of ways, and, you know, the, you run it, and you, especially the smaller models, you put in a prompt, and it spits out some generic, like, Facebook type of uh, content. Um, like, a, you know, it sounds like a Facebook post of, like, a 15-year-old or something like that. Um, but so, I mean, that shows what you get when you use, you know, all this uh, kind of unfiltered data. But I think the interesting thing is that, you know, Llama was then fine-tuned in many different ways and some really powerful models are built on top of it. So I think in some sense, almost any data is, is valuable in the sort of pre-training stages. Um, and, and maybe you need really, really high quality, you know, for the fine-tuning, but I think that big volume um, might be really useful. Maybe not the most economical. So I want to I wanna wrap up uh, like over uh, things why they potentially have like a leg up or versus not a leg up. We definitely know that Twitter was used to train other models that we currently use. Like we know this for a fact. This was the reason why Elon and Sam Altman, who used to be friends, are no longer friends. Elon you know, shit posting about Sam. Uh, and it, the current models we use do use this dataset, but it's old for them. And it's no longer like recent and relevant. And we know for a fact that Twitter is significantly biased and probably the best place in the world for uh, uh, uncovering news as they happen before the bias sets in, before the narrative sets in, before folks know how to, like, you know, before folks get their marching orders from like Fox News and MSNBC from the other side, how to, like, think about things. We know that Twitter is, like, really good at talking about issues as they arise, the second they arise. And I think uh, that on its own is going to, like, teach the models uh, a very great deal. Uh, Naval Ravikant, if you guys follow Naval, he always said like Twitter makes him a better writer. So we definitely know also that like tweets in short form condense information better. And if their model like trains on that, obviously, you know, taking all the precautions we talked about before, bots and shit posting, etc. If they're able to actually get this into the model, uh, likely their model will be more up to date and more fun to, to like reaction. So with that, I want to close. We'll see about the XAI. It's definitely exciting, right? We're, we're potentially getting another big one, uh, potentially open source one. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, I'm going to wrap up this update. And I think the next one I want to move on. Uh, Matt, uh, let me know if you're still around, if you want to uh, yep. if you want to cover. So we have Matt uh, who introduced himself in the beginning. So I'll let you do this like quickly again, because maybe some folks just joined. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the stuff that you know, GitHub stars uh, is rising on which i think is super cool and i invite you to g give us a little bit of a of an interview about this go ahead matt yeah sure uh so i'll try to summarize it a bit better than the last time a lot of practice but uh very long story short uh co-founder ceo of other side ai creator of hyperwrite and a number of other things basically we've been around for a number of years now we're one of the first companies in the space working with llms the goal always has been to build a personal assistant that scales to everybody, just like a real human personal assistant, but at scale, way cheaper digital. Uh, the tech wasn't there at the beginning, so we built other products to sort of learn and gather resources, whether that's users, revenue, a bunch of other things that we can do what we do today. Today, we are actually building that personal assistant. So an AI that can operate a computer, any software, to do what a human can do on pretty much anything. So it'll help you with your tasks. Um, it's very simple today. Uh, it's a Chrome extension that lets you sort of like control Chrome just by sort of talking to it. So you can say, go order me a pizza or go send this person an email or go filter my email or anything else. It works okay today. The idea is that over time, it's going to get a lot better, a lot cheaper, a lot faster to the point where six months from now, a year from now, it might actually be as good as, if not better than a human on many tasks. 
Um, but that being said, while I work on this, I also like to learn about, you know, getting the most out of these technologies because they're so fast moving and you really have to stay on top of it to be effective. Or you so can come to I this do... space every week and then uh, yeah. stay up to date with us together. But yeah, go ahead. Exactly. I mean, a lot of what I do to learn really is just build things um, that I find interesting and I find that often, even if I'm not expecting it, a lot of those learnings do translate to stuff we're doing at other sides. So this sort of just came out of that. Um, happy to sort of dive into the project or if you want to sort of stop me and yeah, so let, let's pause here for a second, and I'll just tell folks that I've pinned uh, Matt's uh, tweet from a couple of days ago with the introduction. Since then, you got like a few thousand stars, I think, on GitHub, and yeah. we're going to talk about the GPT prompt engineer uh, uh, project and the different reasons why Matt the, and folks kind of written this and what it's here to serve. So maybe give us an introduction to the GPT chat, uh, sorry, GPT prompt engineer. And uh, what kind of made you come up with this and how it works? Uh, yeah, go, go deep, man. Sure. Yeah, so forget my ramblings in advance. Uh, essentially, I find prompt engineering so fun. I've been doing it pretty much every day for everything, honestly, to the point of excess from you know what I would do for work to having to decide what I'm making for dinner uh, for, for years now. And as I've gone through this process, sort of like learning how to use these models, it's become very clear that, especially as these models evolve, there's no best practice for Anything, prompts change, ways to prompts change, something that works for one task might not work for a very similar task. And the only way to sort of get out of that is to sort of get an intuition of the model and try a lot of things. But that doesn't always work perfectly. And also, you don't really know kind of what works and what doesn't, even when you're trying things, right? You have to do it sort of like in a very scientific way, but there's no real right answer to anything. It's kind of like alchemy. So I was starting to think, you know, like I think this was right when GPT-4 came out. I was using GPT-4 pretty often to just ideate prompts. I would say, here's what I'm trying to do. I would say, write a prompt for me, and I would use the ideas from that to help me improve my own prompts. And that, got, that actually got a lot of interest. We ended up building a sort of thing similar to that into the HyperWrite platform at the time. It was really cool, but really wasn't something that would replace like what I do every day, which is, you know, really like hardcore prompting. Eventually, I was just like sort of thinking about it. And I think this was on the 4th of July. I was just sitting there kind of thinking, what if we tried it? And I started thinking about, like, how can you design a system that actually comes up with good prompts, not just a prompt that does the job, but something that's actually optimal? Because as humans, right, we can only try so many things at once. But yep. the magic of these LLMs is they're creative and they think faster than we do. In the time that I could write half a prompt, LLMs can write 50, 100. And what if you could leverage that? Because even if the average prompt isn't very good, you're going to luck into one or two that happen to be exceptional for your task. So I started by doing it actually with a classifier. I only released this notebook yesterday just because it's like a step on the road. And what we ended up using it for was actually something on the other side where we needed to build a classifier for something with personal assistant. And I just wasn't getting good performance out of the prompts that I was writing. So I said, fuck it. What if we have the AI try to do this? And I built this so that essentially I describe the task. I give it some test cases. So I'll give it, you know, like some true false test cases because the classifier was classifying things as true or false. Um, it was like, classify the statement as true or false. And it was like, uh, New York is in America, it would be true. If it was New York is in Paris, it would be false. And I basically mm -hmm. created like 10 or 20 of these test cases. I described the task and I had GPT generate something like, I think 20 or so prompts. And surprisingly, the quality of them just at first glance was pretty good, right? It was kind of shocking considering I spent so much time trying to do this manually. Then what I did was I just basically had each of these prompts test against each of these test cases, and I plotted sort of the success of each. 
and turns out some of them actually outperformed what I did. I was kind of shocked, right? Like you wouldn't expect that, especially doing this for years. That so just to, just to recap real quick on this, the GPT four, I, I assume that's what you're using, generated yeah, prompts actually performed better than Matt Schumer's prompts, and Matt Schumer is the own founder of a prompt company with like a lot of prompt use cases for a long time from gpt3 to 4 etc and some of the ones that it came up with uh, performed better than yours yeah it, it was kind of scary um some of them performed way worse but the idea is that you're gonna sort of luck into something that is better you know maybe two out of 20 will be better but they're great so i was sort of just like so fascinated by this i was like how do you take this further because classification is one thing, but real prompts where you're actually having it generate text, those are harder. How do you judge that? You know, you could use GPT-4 to judge them, right? Um, if you have two prompts and you say, like, each of them generate, generate me something, and they give you your responses, and you want to know which is better, you can ask GPT-4. Mm -hmm. And so I figured we could apply that. Turns out there's some issues with that, and there have been some papers written about this where essentially it'll be sort of like more favoring the one that's on the bottom. So just do it twice, flip the order and see if one wins. And I took that approach and I sort of combined it with sort of like an ELO style tournament where essentially you have each of them go head to head, like one-on-one -on -one, and each of them gets their ELO score either bumped up or down based on whether they win, lose, or draw. Can you give and, uh, two sentences on ELO scores as a concept? Yeah, I'm actually not super familiar with it. Uh, funny enough, I had GPT write the code for that part. Um, oh, dope, dope. But basically uh, think of it like a ranking system in a video game. Yeah, think of it like a ranking system in chess or a video game where, you know, you uh, have two people competing and the one that wins gets their score increased by X. The one that loses gets their score decreased by X and it also sort of like weighted based on the previous scores. So if somebody that has a high score beats somebody with a very low score, their score won't increase that much because they're very likely going to win. So it's sort of just like a weighting system to help figure out what's the best. So instead of just sort of getting a clear-cut, yes, this is right, or no, this isn't, which you can do with classifiers because there is a right and a wrong ground-truth answer. I just had each prop sort of generate for a test case, and the sort of opposite prompt, uh, the competition prompt, would generate for that test case. That was a little bit complex. Um, and they would have the model judge which one was better. And it's expensive, right? It might cost like 20 bucks in GPT calls to get to an answer, but turns out at the end, the prompts, again, were just kind of blowing me away that's the so awesome creativity in them like the words it used the trigger words it didn't do what i would do and in like a really good way and it also opened up my eyes to sort of like new ways of prompting that i never would have thought of and just sort of like aren't standard um and that's kind of the magic of all this i think that this sort of abstracts away the sort of atomic level of prompts right you talk about prompts as sort of a prompt in and of itself and then a system built around the prompts with many prompts kind of working together this makes it so that you don't have to guess about, do I have the best prompt for this single atomic part of our system? Where the magic really comes in then is, how do you string these amazing individually crafted by AI prompts together to make something that actually works really, really well? And how and, you robustly yeah. build like the evaluation system, right? Because like you, you have like the classifier is a simple example of evaluating because maybe you know the text, et cetera. Uh, but how do you actually like scale up the evaluation system such that this could potentially run in loops and then generate like the best of the best prompts for a task. Exactly. Uh, that's also like a very interesting piece. How do you think about evaluation going forward? Yeah, so I think it's sort of like that where you could have this thing run in a loop three times and take the three winners and then have GPT read those winners, right? And be like, here are prompts that worked really, really well. 
here are the test cases where they failed. Now I want you to write new prompts that take what's good about these, but also mitigate the failure cases and then generate a whole new set of prompts, sort of like evolution, right? Where this doesn't just have to stop at one point in time after the first run. It's like, let's learn from what these amazing ones still did wrong and continue to make this better and better and better. Obviously, this relies on a relatively large test set. I'm also experimenting with ways where you can have the test set auto-generate, but that's a little bit finicky. But I do think that sort of like evolution of this could lead to some really exceptional prompts. But what I found was even on the first run, I was seeing it outperform myself. Uh, for example, there was a classifier we were using GPT-4 with Logify to do because it was such a hard challenge. And we were getting something like 90% accuracy. That's awesome. I had it do these prompts with GPT-4, but then I had it run them using GPT-3.5, and it got 96%. We've seen this pattern, of... we've talked about this pattern before, where like you can outsource kind of the hard work to GPT-4, but then once you get really good at prompting, GPT-3.5 is actually very, very decent at many things, and yeah. it's way faster, cheaper, and has a 16K context now that you can use. And so we've seen this pattern with like many folks, that if you don't need the full power of like the GPT-4's human evil, for coding, et cetera, you can go far into GPT 3.5 and get like very far along, especially if like, as you're getting better in prompts and now Matt, you have like a recursive crafter helper guy uh, th that's here. Uh, and my, my next question for you is, have you used anything else? So, so you mentioned GPT 3.5, where you run the prompts. Have you tried them on like different models like cloud maybe or the open source Llama ones? Uh, I actually haven't, uh, just because I wanted to see if this worked. It was sort of just an interesting thing for me. Um, and my time is really focused on other side and personal assistant. But it wouldn't be hard to get Claude in. I suspect Claude prompts would perform better on Claude. OpenAI prompts would perform better on OpenAI just because the models, you have to prompt them very differently. Like Claude's sort of like a more emotional thinker. OpenAI is more of like a logical thinker. It's a very like sort of simple, not perfect analogy, but... I suspect you'd want to sort of like stick within the ecosystems. Maybe I'm not wrong. to mention, not to mention inflection spy, which is like a whole different beast. Yeah, that's um, a interesting one. <laughs> we, we we discussed spy a couple of times, and like I've seen some reactions, but like I don't think uh, maybe at the end of this, if we have time, uh, Matt. One, uh, one last question I will have for you on this, and I think we'll move on. Is that uh, where folks can find more work uh, of this? Where what should they? If it's open source, what what are you looking for contributions? If you are and uh, yeah, just give us like a wrap up of, uh, of this awesome project. Yeah, so you can find it on GitHub. It's called GPT Prompt Engineer. Um, currently, there are two notebooks. It's it's all done in Jupyter Notebook format, uh, so it's pretty easy to edit. Uh, one is for the classification system. The other is for the generation system. We're honestly sort of like at a point where it works well. Uh, so it's like, what do you build around it? One thing that's missing is the classification version only supports true and false labels, but it's not hard to use TikTok into, or TikTok and whatever it is, to allow it to support arbitrary labels, like happy, sad, angry, whatever. Uh, that's probably like a 20 minute ad that if somebody goes in and does, like that opens up a whole new set of use cases. Um, the evolution idea that I mentioned before, right? Taking the best prompts um, and then saying like, here's where it went wrong on these test cases and then throwing it back to GPT and having it generate more and rerunning it, that's interesting. The ability to use Claude um, would be awesome uh, if anybody wants to add that. I could even see it evaluating each prompt on each model, right? Because right now we only generate with GPT-4. We only evaluate with GPT-3.5. But imagine if you generate with GPT-4 half of them, you generate half of them with Claude, and you evaluate each prompt on GPT-4, GPT-3.5, 
and Claude. And you can see sort of the latency success rates for each um, along with scores. Um, I think all that would be super interesting. Also sort of like just open to ideas. I'm not really sort of supporting this at all. So if anybody wants to kind of take it and run with it, I am all for that. Um, also sort of just like a shameless plug right now or thing that we're looking for, um, just because I have right. an audience here. Uh, we are at other side in HyperWrite really, really looking for uh, somebody to help on backend, hopefully with a security uh, set of expertise. And then also, if anybody is ex is experienced in training machine learning models, um, I would love some help there because um, we're doing a lot of LLM training. So it's a quick thing. And also to add that now with the prompt uh, engineer that's automated, the results of this would likely generate like a great data set that you can add and continue fine tuning, especially as GPT-4 fine tuning is coming soon. Uh, so Matt, definitely store everything yeah. that you generate with the yellow score and everything. And from a from a GPT prompt engineer that runs and doesn't know about the left run, maybe there's going to be a path forward to like actually fine-tuning a prompting model, which could yes, be incredible exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Awesome. Imagine taking, taking a prompt and taking one that has a slightly higher score and fine-tuning a model to take the initial, initial prompt and then sort of output the one that has a higher score. And you can do that evolutionarily, continue to get better prompts in theory. Awesome. So folks, if you want to work at a cool place, happy right hit Matt up and also check out uh, GPT Prompt Engineer on GitHub. Thanks for coming. Uh, feel free to stay and kind of continue commenting and talking with us as we go through a bunch of other updates that we have. Uh, and just a quick check with Nistan, who promised me to like follow Twitter and see if anything new comes up. Breaking news as we as we talk, I haven't seen anything besides the space uh, of XAI. Uh, I will uh, uh, I will like uh, ask people's attention to the last pin tweet from Dr. Jim Fenn that talks about the context length dip. Matt, you also touched on this context length dip. Uh, it's basically a paper, I think Stanford, I'm not sure, that uh, figured out that even longer context windows, they have a dip in the middle, which means that like at the beginning of the prompt, at the end of the prompt, the, the model has more attention to what you actually asked it to or the, the, the details that you provide. In the middle, there's like a dip. Uh, and uh, uh, this this was also released this, this week. However, the one thing I, I said previously, I'll repeat here, Claude and some folks who know about context windows way more than me, they say the Claude is actually really good at this with, with, without the dip. Yeah, I feel like that's saying... It's an interesting paper. I feel like it's sort of saying, like, hey, if you train on marketing copy, then it's going to be worse at coding, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. We do a lot of long context stuff on the other side. Like, that's actually what I'm focused on right now, training really, really long context, uh, massive models. And if you train it on data where there's context in the middle that matters, it is going to be good at that. Interesting. So what you're saying, I think I've seen this kind of opinion uh, before as well, where, like, it's just the outcome of the data that was fed in and for like blog posts and other places, people want to hook your attention in the beginning and then kind of, you know, f finish strong, basically. You're saying that this yeah. is like potentially an outcome of that and not necessarily the tech behind it? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, who knows? Maybe wrong. But from my experience, right, why I was given that analogy before is like if you train it up to do one thing and then you're asking it to do, to do another, it's not going to do that other thing as well. And I'm guessing the data set that they sort of did this evaluation on was something that didn't have a ton of information. The part of the part of the reason that so few of the language model companies have super long context length models, um, and why it was such a big deal that Anthropic did, is because a lot of the challenge in training them um, isn't actually in training them; it's in the data. Um, obviously, inference becomes a challenge; it's the cost and the overhead there. But the data to sort of do this is really sparse; it's not very available, right? Uh, so, 
that's, I think, part of it, right? There's not just like a sort of standard data set that has super long context length that has information in, in the middle. We, we do actually, we've been building one another side and that's sort of given me some of the ideas that I'm sort of spouting here. Um, but my guess is that Anthropic, part of the reason there's works is because they've focused on the data. The data is really important, right? And I will say, model, it's just fine tuning. So yeah, yeah. I, I will say when I got access to cloud 100k context window, I did like a bunch of tests with my Twitter data and just pasted like a bunch of JSONs with like Twitter numbers, Twitter IDs numbers, and the smaller model, the not 100k, gave me back results that actually you know didn't invent those numbers. The 100k model lost in the middle and started inventing those numbers. I literally saw this difference between the longer context one and the previous one, and I thought it's because of like it loses some context in the middle, uh, and I need to retry this on the new ones because the new ones they claim this doesn't happen. Uh, with that, I want to go to Al and Yam. One of you, I think, raise your hand first to talk about the context length dip and the the that paper. If you have read this, if you have thoughts, and uh, if you have noticed this as well. Uh, I just I just had a quick question from Matt about the differences that he found in prompting between, say, Claude and uh, GPT-4. Um, I noticed, like, the prompts aren't really reusable, um, and maybe you could speak to, you know, sort of that in the general case. Yeah, let's end with, like, maybe this question and then move on to, to other updates uh, as, as, as we have. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's like talking to two people with two different personalities, right? They're both people, but they respond differently to different ways you're sort of prompting them, if you will. Um, Claude is sort of like more uh, emotional, I guess, um, where OpenAI is sort of more logical and it's hard to sort of pin that down to any one thing and it's hard to give you sort of like techniques based on that because it's, again, like every use case is, is very different, but it's very clear you have to prompt them uh, differently. Um, I think also like talking about the idea of like fine-tuning a prompting model will be very interesting is fine-tuning a model that takes an OpenAI prompt and converts it to the idealized version of a Claude prompt and vice versa. Um, I mean, I think that could be very, very powerful because there are ways to sort of like intuit your way there. Um, it's just hard to sort of distill into a set of rules. Um, one thing I found actually quite interestingly with Claude 2 is that it is insanely resistant to sort of like uh, jailbreak attacks. Yep. So I was able to get it to do it. Um, turns out the stupidest method worked. Uh, it was sort of like modifying that Dan prompt that's been going around on like Reddit. Um, but the more nuanced sort of like complex methods that typically work with like OpenAI, they didn't. Um, so I think the model is just qualitatively different. I think it's going to take some time to fully explore it and understand why and how. Um, still super early days. I love and, the fact that like yeah. all of us are getting like an intuition about different models and how to approach them, right? And that's like a, uh, Suix was here before. This is like a specialization where, of what I like think he talked about as an AI engineer. Like we're getting, we're getting like, um, to, to start to understand the differences between those to like the little fine little things that you can say. And I think it will be very interesting if, if you have a model that's trained to actually can, can, you know, cross, uh, uh, convert them or translate them between the, the models to work the same. I have an idea where not to get locked into the GPT-4 ecosystem uh, with the functions. I had an idea of like uh, wrapping the GPT-4 API package with something that will actually kind of, print the functions into the context because cloud now has like a huge context window and then try to see whether or not cloud is able to kind of, you know, without additional tech, without additional changes to the API to replicate the outputs of uh, how a GPT with functions would do. Um, and that's going to be an idea I'll be testing hopefully and talk about next week. Um, thanks, Matt. Oh yeah, go ahead. Today, today, uh, there have been, I think today, maybe, maybe yesterday, but anyway, today there have been a model that uh, uh, generate prompts. 
by the way, uh, by giving a data, you generate the prompt. Um, I've written about this today on Twitter. It is so powerful. It is such a, a cool method. You can take whatever you have, like, I don't know, scientific papers and generate instructions for them. Now you can fine tune a model that generates scientific papers. Or yeah, you got jokes. Now you can train a model that become funny. Like you, you can generate the instruction, convert whatever you want into instructions. Amazing release today. Um, one more thing about the deep in the middle thing. Um, I, I think, I don't know why it happens. I have no idea how OpenAI train their models. And, but I think uh, if you think about it, uh, many missions, many uh, instructions, uh, uh, paragraph, and before the paragraph, you, you tell the model, please summarize the following, or on the contrary, like a paragraph, and at the end, what was that? Something, something. So it makes a lot of sense that a model pays a lot of attention to the beginning and the end because of this. Um, and on the same note, it's very easy to fix. So I wouldn't just point fingers. It's good that they pointed it, but I think it like, I don't know, couple of minutes of training, uh, open AI, like fine tune for a minute and fix it. I just want to ask you, Yam, Yam the, the pin that I just tweet, uh, sorry, the tweet that I just pinned on the top, this was the one that you talked about, the, the, the instructions generation and the prompt generation? Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So folks, definitely feel free to check this out. I haven't seen this. Uh, you want to give a couple more words about that one? It looks like you, you wrote like a very deep dive. Uh, if you want to go What's the model? It says like 11B, 3B. Keep you it, got, keep you it got civil, two models. Man. Sure, not everybody got two hears it. Two, yeah, two models. Put into the models uh, uh, whatever you want. Uh, you want. Okay, let's go back. You got a data set of something, emails from your company, for example, and you want a model that will help you write emails. Okay, you can start thinking about how to train this model, or you can use this. And now generate the text that basically says, help me write the following email to this following person of something, something, and you know, the actual email. And all of a sudden you have a model that is extremely, you have a data set to train a model or to few shot or whatever that is extremely tuned to this. So I think it's a very cool technique. It's very powerful, has a lot of potential. And the trick with, in simple words is, training the model what not to say. That's the missing piece here that they added the trick. Um, they took instructions and outputs that do not fit and just a different random output from the data, data and train, train with the different laws that the model should not say this because this input does not, with that instruction does not uh, uh, result in this output. That's it, that's the trick. And it works perfectly and really cool. Awesome. Uh, I have some folks who want to come up and ask questions. I think we're almost there in terms of uh, the updates. Uh, I will just like briefly run to some updates. I don't even have time to go and look for the threads. Uh, but if you're not following Llama CPP, <laughs> follow. Georgi Gurganov is one of the goats that we have in the space. I think he single-handedly is in charge of so many uh, uh, so many folks trying to get a MacBook because it's incredible how much performance they've been able to squeeze out of Llama and its uh, comparatives. And many people just like quantize their models, basically making them smaller to run on this like GGML platform that they have. The recent news that I have from over there, there's like two pieces of news. Last week, for those of us who were here uh, last week, we talked about CFG. Um, I forgot the, the something, something. I forgot the uh, guidance scale. Um, and um, 
we've talked about the, the CFG parameter moving from diffusion models that we know, like in stable diffusion, you can define how close to your prompt should the model generate the image. Uh, somebody decided, I think in illusory AI, somebody said, hey, can we add this like uh, control of CFG to our LLM generations? CFG is a classifying guidance scale, something like that. Um, and and they did this. The the chats at GGML added this to like uh, llama.cpp. And so now you can actually kind of pass a CFG uh, control and uh, fine tune. It's almost like a running fine tune to, to an extent. You can test the model to, to be closer or farther away from the, the prompt that you have. Co contrasting this with uh, the stuff that we have on a, a GPT-4 API, which is temperature. And uh, I think, Matt, you, you, you mentioned uh, something to, to logit bias, logit bias, something like that, right? Where you can ask it not to yeah. say certain things. So contrasting CFG, it's like a different beast that we now have like a different control. And so GGML just merged into their platform. Definitely worth checking out. And the second thing is, I need to find this tweet. Yesterday, Georgi was like, oh yeah, by the way, here's a 48% inference speed improval that somebody just like merged in. Have you guys played and try this? For the 33 billion parameter model of Llama, somebody just merged in a 50% increase on inference speed, just just like just on the way. And I find this like incredible because GGML already runs like many many stuff on you know Raspberry Pis or whatever iPhones, and now somebody's like, oh yeah, here's a 50% increase in inference speed. Uh, and then I think Nissan was here before he was talking about. Uh, GGML runs on the iPhone because iPhones, even from three years ago, have the same neural chip that like the latest Macs or some, some, some such. And that this performance boost on GGML also applies to iPhones as well. So incredible stuff. And, you know, as, as, as we hear every week, we keep seeing like leaps, incredible leaps in like speed and performance. Definitely worth checking out GGML and the, the, the five folks that, that work on those stuff. Uh, GGML comments, folks who use Llama, CCP, uh, feel free to hop up and raise your hand and like give us more updates from that length. I invited Georgi a couple of times. I don't think he wants to speak at the spaces, but he, he sometimes is a guest as well. Um, other than that, I think we'll move on to some more updates and then we'll just have questions. No? Cool. So the next update that I have is from the diffusion side that we sometimes cover. We don't cover it often, but we do cover it from sometimes, uh, time to time. So two things from stability. Stable diffusion, we talked about SDXL, the new Excel model that can generate uh, 1024 images. Uh, we've talked about last week about the 0 0.9 weights dropping. Uh, SDXL 1.0 is now available in the Stable Diffusion Discord. Uh, if you've played with MidJourney before and you looked at Stable Diffusion, it's like, ah, it's not that great. Stable Diffusion SDXL 1 is really impressive. And besides being really impressive, they plan to release this open source. So we're going to see a bunch of folks, you know, fine-tune LoRa's uh, and specific versions of SDXL on the specific things. And I think it's like incredible. If you if you want to play with those models and you haven't yet, go to Stable Diffusion Discord and hit up that bot and then next week let us know how incredibly different that is. Uh, and we're waiting for the weights for the SDXL 1.0 to drop. And I will mention this. Uh, I will mention this every day until the year mark. It's been less than a year since Stable Diffusion. It's been less than a year. I remember, I think it was August 22 when they actually dropped the full, uh, the full open source model. Less than a year, and we've seen just such incredible progress. So, uh, like Matt said before, it's really hard to keep up, but it's also really hard to internalize how far, just how far we're coming with those like incredible like leaps and changes every week. 
And again, to just like plug in this Thursday I space, this is why we're here every Thursday talking about everything and everything that's changed and updated. And the other thing that I will oh, I see Art in the audience. What's up, Art? If, if you play with SDXL, feel free to raise your hand and come up. Um, the other thing that they released, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with ClipDrop. Uh, so Stable Diffusion bought ClipDrop as a company and started implementing that interface compared to their like dream dream booth no dream studio interface so clip drop is like a way way simpler interface day to day release something called uh, uh stable doodle stable doodle is uh, i don't know if folks in the audience remember this meme how to draw an owl step one draw a circle step two draw some eyes and then step three like draw the rest of the fucking owl and then you have like a beautiful owl painting at the end of this <laughs> uh this is now the go-to test on like how the doodle models work and i've pinned my attempt at this but definitely check out uh, clip drop um uh, doodle thing it's really really fun to play with so those are like the updates from the diffusion world hey 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 real quick i was just looking at the uh repository for comfy ui and then i saw that uh i don't know how to say his name Scalskip is in here so i just wanted to come on and say like hey this is incredible this is what we've been talking about for like months now right this node based like character codex if you will of of uh of like there's just infinite possibilities i just want to listen and but like thanks for bringing me up this is really cool man i was just i really uh, thanks for bringing up like comfy ui i i i feel guilt at not being up to date on every single possible thing i know it's impossible but, like i really try and comfy ui has been on my list to try but then you know plot was released and <laughs> code interpreter was released comfy ui seems like the thing we want man i think uh, stable diffusion when they tried to bring up uh, dream dream studio they talked about like a node-based uh, thing where you can pipe models to other models you can find like filters that said comfy ui for folks who have tested it out uh it's it, it looks like that it, it that's it and uh i definitely want to agree with art there's something to watch out and maybe try because automatic one on one even though it's like super super uh, advanced and has been there for beginning since stable diffusion it's just like a shit show of a ux just like horrible Horrible. I'm sorry, guys. It's really hard. I've built a web UI for before automatic. It's really hard to get Gradio to play as much as you want. It's really hard to maintain a UX, uh, UX good UX product with many many people contributing, with many many people things are changing between you know uh, under your feet. So it's really not their fault, but like it's it, it's it's a shit show to get started with. And uh, Comfy UI seems like a fresh clean start. So definitely, if you're playing with this. Test this out and let us know. Uh, Max, you have your hand raised and you've played with SDXL. Give us, give us some of your thoughts. Yeah, I have played through the website Dream Studio. So I'm lately working with a company that makes toys for kids. They want to start incorporating AI. And one of my concerns with working with them is like, okay, we want to generate images for kids, something that is going to probably freak them out is two things that diffusion models have been lacking. One is the ability of painting things like complicated shapes or int int intricate shapes like hands. Uh, SDXL is not better at it. And the other one is this concept of what is named like concept bleeding, which is these mm -hmm. diffusion models tend to like mix objects that are similar in shape or form uh, is not good at it, neither. Now, I was reading the paper from Stability or the report. They claim they are outperforming Mid Journey in five of seven categories. Now, 
Midjourney anyway, 5.1, yeah. I think, right? Yeah, just to make sure. Midjourney since then released a new version that's like way better also because like we're in this insane pace. But yeah, they've compared to yeah. Midjourney 5.1. Yeah, well, now this is a report internal uh, released by stability. It's a paper. It might have some credibility. I don't know. I, I like the results. It's very close to mid journey, but I think they're still one or two steps behind, in my opinion. What is different is what you have mentioned, Alex, once they release the weights and we can see Loras about this. I'm expecting to see the results that we can get because probably that is when it, what is going to position this model like a step above mid-journey, but not yet. It, this is my opinion, eh? Yeah, definitely. And thanks for that. And I, I love folks coming up and sharing their opinion about these things. I, I will say on the top, thanks, Max. Uh, or I guess I know you're a new name, but I'm not sure if I, can, if I should be. Uh... Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I have it in my view. I'm, I'm Juan, uh, oh, Spanish, thanks, Juan. living in Mexico, and I like these things. <laughs> we, we appreciate your, your coming up here. Uh, on the topic of UIs that we've like mentioned with Mark, uh, somebody or somebody, folks released uh, Pinocchio, and they call this the AI browser. And I want to highlight this because, you know, I want to give you also practical tips. Uh, oh, Junaid, I think, is coming in with some, with some breaking news. Uh, I don't know if Junaid wants to come up or can, but if he can, feel free to, to come up and, and tell us uh, there's some news from Bard. Until, until we, we talk about Bard, the topic of UIs for those things, and uh, you guys know we, we're mostly focused on like the LLM side and like the engineer side, listen to the diffusion, but we sometimes have love for both. The above tool that you can download and not deal with the, the terminal, not deal with a bunch of stuff, unifies all of them. It's really, really nice. Check out Pinocchio AI browser. I think it's open source. You download this once. It's cross-platform, Mac, PC, etc. And then you're able to download Llama CPP. And then you're able to also download Stable Diffusion. And then fairly quickly, without knowing how to code, without going to the terminal, without installing packages, folks here know that like installing all the packages is like a whole, a whole pain that we all share and we like we, we all hate. Uh, without doing all of that, that's the promise that they have. You are able to pipe Llama outputs into Stable Diffusion. So Jan previously mentioned kind of the model that can do, and Jan and Matt are, are talking about a, a method of generating prompts for LLMs, but also we know that there's models or prompts to actually generate prompts for uh, diffusions, and they're trained on different like and fine-tuned on different ways to generate diffusion prompts, right? And this uh, Pinocchio. The browser is actually allowing you to run like an LLM model and then pipe the output into stable diffusion model and then see the output of that. I think it's incredible that like this exists and is downloadable. I haven't tried this yet. If you in the audience or somebody on stage have tried Pinocchio, please raise your hand. I want to bring you up and talk about Pinocchio and your experience with this. And if, if, and if we haven't, I want to bring this to our attention so that next week we're able to talk about this. This is added to my list of things I like the Confi UI that I haven't tried it yet. Anybody use Pinocchio yet? No? Cool. I wanted to get Cocktail Peanut, the guy who wrote uh, Cocktail Peanut. If you're in the audience, feel free to raise your hand. I don't think you are, uh, but uh, feel free to follow the thread. He goes fairly deep. And, uh, and feel free to use and try Pinocchio by next week and then come up next week and talk about the differences between this and running automatic one, 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 one. All right, folks, uh, thanks, everyone, for coming to another Thursday iSpace. I uh, hope this has been helpful for a bunch of you. We tried a few new things here. We tried to give updates, but also deep dive and do a conversation with Matt. Uh, and it uh, looks from the reactions here that maybe this is worth 
putting down on paper and sending out an email for, for those of you who want to maybe sign up for this and not don't have the time to listen to two-hour spaces. So I'll definitely try at least to do that. I want to thank a few folks on stage that have joined consistently and providing a lot of uh, a lot of signal. Yam, uh, follow Yam. He has great insights into models and training and different things. Al in the audience, uh, thanks always for coming up. Uh, Junaid and, uh, is running the Denver Meetup. And if you're in the Denver area, feel, feel free to join us next week. Uh, Art, thanks for coming. Haven't seen you in a while, buddy. Uh, Juan on, uh, sorry, yeah, I think Juan, right? Max I. And Lentos has recently been joining us. It's been great. Uh, um, we have some more folks in the audience who are regulars, and we, you know, we invite you to also be regulars and come up and uh, talk about Thursday. I, I will say this one thing: tag me in anything that's new. I would love that uh, and help promote the message for other folks. If you if you did like the space, this also really helps uh, for more folks to get to the bottom of this. For those folks who I didn't get to their questions, I apologize. I'm trying to keep this as a balance of a high signal thing versus letting everybody questions as well. Uh, last thing I'll say is about myself a little bit. I'm Alex, I'm a consultant. I stay up to date so you don't have to. That's my tagline. Uh, if you're in the company and needs consultancy for somebody who's like up to date on everything, I try to be that guy. Feel free to tap me in the DMs. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's the AI, folks. Uh, keep tagging us. Uh, everything that's new, we're going to try to cover uh, next week. With that, I thank all of you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for giving us two and a half hours of your attention. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I appreciate attention is, is sparse and very, uh, very important. And I really thank everybody who gave us like two and a half hours. Thank you, folks. Hey, Alex, we really appreciate you. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks Alex, for doing, thanks for doing a good, uh, good pod, well, space and keeping us on track, actually. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, Alex, definitely want to kind of uh, give our thanks to you as well for curating an awesome space. Oh, thanks, uh, I think I'm definitely not the only one that gets a lot of good signal out of this. And uh, I know a lot of hard work uh, goes into keeping yourself up to date so that you can share it with all of us. So uh, just on my own behalf, thank you. And I'm sure I, uh, that is echoed by a lot of people uh, on stage and in the audience. Humble, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you, folks. Have a nice Thursday. Right. And uh, Bye. Next week. Bye.